Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. Born in the Rockies, Coors Light is lagered cold for a crisp, clean taste. Filtered cold to ensure clarity and brightness. And packaged cold for peak refreshment. Because those who thirst for more deserve the world's most refreshing beer. Welcome to the Hawk Talk Podcast, brought to you by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers with Slavko Bekovic and Charlie Romaliotis. I am Pat Boyle. We're going to get into the draft situation as we're about a month away from the proceedings in Vancouver and the Hawks having that third overall selection. We'll also touch on the Worlds in Slovakia as we move now uh, out of Group A play into the quarterfinals action. But we kick off this edition of the Hawks Talk podcast with Blackhawks defenseman Connor Murphy. How you doing, Connor? Good, how are you doing? Good, good. Uh, out here at this uh, the Hockey Fest here yeah. at the United Center. Um, good to see all these kids, different ages, different skill levels taking part in the street hockey. Um, did it take you back a little bit to your to your roots? Yeah, I was talking with uh, someone out there about how uh, most of your childhood, I think, uh, if you look back on the hours you spent um, playing the game, uh, majority of them are played in those situations, just playing in the cul-de-sac or in a driveway, because um, obviously you get your limited uh, few hours of ice time a week for practices with your teams, and um, you don't get that many touches on the puck or. Um, you're standing in uh, line or doing structure stuff and learning about systems and all that as a hockey player. So you get to mess around and um, play with a lot of your friends and um, have some heated long games that run day and night um, out on the street uh, with a lot of the warmer climates. Obviously, it's the only um, option you have, so it's, it definitely uh, hits home for a lot of hockey players. So any fans out there that want to take part in it, it's going to take place at the United Center June 22nd, 23rd. Go to blackhawks.com slash Hockey Fest for details on that. I'll say to you, as we record this podcast, it's like 50 degrees outside. How's your summer going? Is that even, I mean, it's, the weather hasn't been great. So. Yeah, it hasn't. Actually, I kind of like it because I was uh, back home in Columbus for a few weeks and we had really nice weather, but I don't know whatever reason the allergies were hitting me this year. So I feel like I could breathe here, which is <laughs> the sinuses get plugged. But no, it's uh, summer's been good. It's been nice to get home to see some family and and then um, back here training with Polly and a few guys are in town. It's uh, always nice to catch up. So when you talk about the training and you're working with Paul Goodman and some of the guys that are staying in town, uh, how much of it is off-ice workout? At what point do you start to mix a little bit of on-ice workout in? Yeah, everyone's got their own philosophies. I've, I've done it differently in, in some summers. Um, I've even you've gone as far as one summer. I think I had my first uh, skate before uh, first off-ice workout. And um, sometimes there's certain things you want to work on. But uh, here um, we're doing it in the way of uh, training for um, just in the gym for I believe a month and a half um, before we get on the ice. Um, there's things that you want to 
uh, hockey's not and skating's not the healthiest thing for your body and the, the hips and groins. So you want to get uh, things kind of strengthened and um, evened out before you hit the ice and, and you'll end up uh, seeing more improvements when you can kind of build that strength up and then get on the ice and have a little uh, quicker step. When you took a look back at your season, uh, obviously, you know, it started in December uh, after you rehabbed the back situation. Yeah. Uh, what were you encouraged most about when you looked at your game and assessed it? Uh, you're saying just looking at it after the season? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, confidence was, was a big thing for me, just um, being my second year with the team and being more comfortable with the guys and, and staff and um, organization and city. Uh, it's something that um, when you have that comfort level showing up to the rink every day, uh, for whatever reason, it's easier to to put your best foot forward and um, to, to go into games and, and uh, feeling like you're really a part of things. Uh, it's, it's definitely something to come to the Hawks at being an original six uh, franchise. It, it uh, can be almost daunting to look at the history and, and look at um, the, how big of a, of a thing it is as a whole, but um, when you can kind of break through that and get comfortable being a part of it um, and focus on your own game and, and uh, work toward what you do and your strengths, um, I think that that's what ends up uh, when you're able to settle in, and I felt a little uh, com- more comfortable doing that. Uh, from my vantage point, you really hit the ground running. I thought uh, I, w- I was surprised with how uh, you – how physical you were to start right away because I figured that that would be a little bit of a mental hurdle. And then, oh, by the way, you enter and there's a new defensive system that's being implemented. Yeah. And so you kind of have a lot of different things going together. How, how difficult was it to, you know, return in early December? It's right around that, I think, that second eight-game losing skid. Yeah. And then you're, you're also trying to pick up a, a man-on-man philosophy or a man-on-half-man, as, as Jeremy likes to call it. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Uh, it was interesting, like, with injuries, uh, you're able to kind of sit back and have a different perspective. And uh, I watched every game and um, a chunk of practices, and um, you could definitely see how uh, kind of mentally it was wearing on guys um, going through a couple losing skids. And uh, I just took the approach that being out that long, I was just so excited to play hockey and play games and get back in um, that it, it almost didn't matter what was going on as far as uh, we were, where we were at in the standings or um, kind of how... Um, uh, how we were adjusting to different coaches and different systems and uh, different parts of the year. I just blocked all that out and just felt I was so excited to play that um, I wanted to just get out there and compete and help the guys because uh, I was so disappointed being injured and not being able to be a part of the, the team and, and contribute um, how I felt I could right from the beginning. So um, that was just something I worked on things, uh, being hurt um, on kind of mental side and obviously physically getting stronger and then just being so eager and desperate to play. Um, it's easier to do that and block out um, certain distractions. Can you explain to the fans a little bit what this – this defensive zone coverage is like the priorities from a D-man's perspective. I know you, you defend from the middle out. You, uh, you, you, he wants you to pressure the puck, but there must be checklists as far as the sorting goes, right? And and can you give us a couple of those things so that the the fan at home can understand a little bit about, more about this D-zone coverage? Yeah, like in general, um, coaches implement systems just so that um, there can be some sort of guidelines that if things go wrong or if uh, 
if you're out there and kind of second guessing where you should be or who you should guard, um, it has that in place to make it clear that way there's less thinking. So when that is integrated, like first of all, mid-season, it's hard for it to become a second nature of how you play because you have to think. And if you're thinking more than you should be in a game, you're usually not going to be playing as well because it's a reactionary and um, competitive sport that way. So um, us with the D zone, we definitely played more of a man-man where um, the simple way of saying it is if uh, I'm a defenseman on the right side, net front, and there's a guy coming to try to screen and tip a puck on our goalie, he's my guy. And if the puck squirts away and he skates to grab the puck, I'm, I'm supposed to be guarding him. And it's mano a mano and he better not score sort of mindset. So there's that. And then um, you just adapt and, ha and you read plays after that. And there's scenarios that come up almost every game. And that's why um, people get confused and frustrated to see one game blow up and let up a bunch of goals and some games that's just look completely locked in it's just different things happen you play different teams that have different tactics that bring up uh, different things to work on so there's that and um, just having yeah having awareness of your guy and then awareness of that situation that's kind of progressed throughout the year um, on how you adapt if a guy gets beat uh, is something that you're always working on. You know, there were times where we would see like say your man would go end up the puck going to the corner um, and and your your D partner might have another player that's below the goal line and you'll have yeah. two D men below the goal line. Right. The house is unprotected or it's yeah. it's left up to the forwards. Right. Is is are there certain checklists or where you know you have to abandon your guy or is the onus then put on the forwards to pick up you know the the, the house and yeah, protect there's that a lot of, there's a lot of different situations where you have to um uh a lot of time yeah the, the, the net should never be left uncovered uh with anyone in front but um yeah sometimes it's it's hard because when you see your guy and you go to try to cover him at first you have to do is realize that everyone else is um, is compact and kind of um, holding their their side of the play responsible and um, sometimes if a forward could be because of the way the play developed he could have fallen down on the boards and not recovered and if I don't look to see that he's going to recover for me then I can't run into the corner so there are different scenarios that way um, yeah it's it's obvious that you never want to leave a guy open in front so um, if there's times like that there's definitely misplays but um, you hope that over time that those things just get sorted out. And I think a full preseason uh, exhibition games are really going to help you guys in that area. Uh, you were reminded in season uh, just how quickly this business can change. Yeah. You know, Q gets relieved, Jeremy comes in, you're coming back. And, oh, by the way, in Philadelphia, they're going through a ton of change. Yeah. And your dad, Gord, is let go. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious, like, the conversations that you guys had on the phone – during you know stressful times yeah. i mean at times tumultuous times in both organizations you know yeah. change i should say yeah. what, what what was that like what kind of dialogue did you and your dad have over that time yeah um i'm lucky to have a dad that's been in the business and he's been in the nhl for 30 years and just been through so many things uh in different organizations and um the one thing uh that i've learned kind of uh the last couple of years of my career is more just about controlling what you can control and whether you're a staff member or a player, it's it's you you show up every day ready to work and put your your uh, work boots on and, and do whatever you can to your best ability to help the team win and um, and contribute and work hard and and uh, 
you can't sometimes you can't control whether changes are going to be made and um, whether you're a coach um, if the team's playing poorly and loses it's not you can't control everyone and um, and then changes are going to be made it's sometimes it's not doesn't mean anyone's doing a bad job it's just uh, sometimes change could spark something that would it could create more wins and uh, it's a hostile league in the way that um, everyone everyone wants to win right away and if it's not happening um, the way the salary cap and contracts are so tight um, sometimes it's hard to change the team up completely and they and staff changes end up being made so there's no uh, there's no crystal ball that's easy looking to and solve things and um, that's why it's a really hard job on on managers and um, owners and, and uh, everyone trying to, to make organizations um, um, the, the elite level and stay that way every year to win the cup. It's also hard on teams and like one thing that I was impressed with was you know you're going through a losing skid yeah. in December and uh, there's several guys in that room that you know have won uh, there's uh, also a young nucleus that's beginning to to take foot and take hold in that locker room and none of it at least came to light outside of that locker room nobody ever heard of the you know the, the questioning of maybe this or that system or yeah. or upset about you know so and so's play or whatever right. it was kept in house if there was any um how did you guys keep it together in the, those tough weeks and then, oh, by the way, flip the script in, you know, kind of January, February and start playing, you know, playoff hockey. Yeah, uh, I don't know. There's there's obviously different um, mental, emotional sides that play into effect. But I think it just speaks um, to the count of certain players and how true pros they are and how um, you look at our core guys who have been here with uh, even example like being here with Q for so long and then having that change and him being the only coach that they've known to have and how hard that would be um, even just me looking at it on the outside at them and how hard to be able to show up to a game and have a different guy behind you in the bench it's it's hard but it shows these guys are true pros and they know that um, that that stuff's going to happen and that you have to um, go back to the side control you control you have to elevate your game and you have to be a pro and you have to um, be an elite player that some of our guys are that they can grab hold and um, example you look at Kaner and the run he went on uh, with that stretch of games and the points he put up was just ridiculous and um, and it just shows that they um, guys strive to be great and they want to win and um, and it's unacceptable f uh, to lose in everyone's mind and um, they, no matter what time of the year or what's going on um, they want to want to push forward and, and play well two off seasons ago Kane said this can't be a team of veterans and young guys it's got to be a team that has that comes together do you feel that the young players now are starting to have uh, a strong voice in that locker room. Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel it as the the year changes. Um, it's definitely harder uh, adding into that when a when a young guy is European or whatever that is. It's there's that natural um, tendency to be quiet and to try to um, try to not outspeak anyone. And you have a lot of older players you want to respect and um, don't want to overstep your boundaries. You want to want to gain that respect from your teammates. So. You see that as year goes on, and those guys uh, gain confidence with their game, and they can tell 
teammates have so much respect for them that they that you naturally feel part of it. And um, there's definitely discussions. We talk in the room about how close we need to be and how uh, much of a trust factor there has to be between everyone in order to go far and win. And um, it, it's hard to to make the playoffs and hard to win win the cup. And um, it's definitely something that is is important for everyone to feel a part of it, no matter where you are in the lineup or what age you are, um, in order to have success. Last one for you. I know priority wise, uh, the team will have certain priorities. Improving team defense, the penalty kill will be talked about quite a bit. Uh, yeah. But personal uh, priorities. What what, what uh, are you looking at for yourself as you as you set out uh, next season? Uh, there's there's obviously the standard things you work on in the gym, and um, this year I'm uh, in the years past I've kind of jumped around from being home and being in Chicago and training, and uh, this year being able to stay with Polly and train the whole summer with him I think will be important, and then um, adapting and having the ice and uh, there's some different kind of mental skill stuff I've been working on and. Um, trying to watch a little more videotape of uh, games back from season past to work on uh, the hockey side of things along with uh, with getting your body in, in better shape and nutrition. And um, It's fun that uh, we have a lot of great staff here that the Hawks provide us that give us all the tools to kind of get to that top level and peak shape that you want to be at to, to perform at your best. So um, um, while I'm here, I'm just extremely fortunate and want to take advantage of that and be around and, and soak everything in. Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Oh, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Get all of your Blackhawks news in the palm of your hand with the My Teams app by NBC Sports. The best place to stream the games, watch highlights, read articles, and more. Download the My Teams app today. Back on the Hawks Talk podcast with Charlie Romeliotis and Slavko Bekovic. I am Pat Boyle. All right, we heard from uh, Connor before the break there. Let's get into some... Uh, draft conversation, shall we? It's pretty much been uh, on our plate now since uh, draft lottery night. And uh, we're about a month away from the, uh, the big draft in Vancouver. And we're, you know, when we spoke to Mark Kelly a couple weeks back, he said there's six or seven guys that they were kind of focusing on to possibly take in that third overall selection. You got to think it's been whittled down now to a handful. Have they had that conversation whether or not who – who Stan wants, uh, who Mark is leaning towards, who other people within the hockey ops uh, side of things for the Hawks, who they feel. we kind of gone over the group, but like, let's kind of reshape it and, and kind of look at those, those six or seven guys, five, six, seven guys. Uh, of course, the, the Bowen Byram being one of them, uh, Dylan Cousins, Kirby Dock, Alex Turcotte, uh, Trevor Zegris, uh, Caulfield, I, I think we got just about everybody there. Did, did we mm. miss anyone of potentially um, Pod Colson if they're willing to wait? Which it's his it's so crazy seems to be plummeting. <laughs> so I, I went back and kind of gave a listen to our emergency podcast uh, when it <laughs> when it first came out, and even the Craig Button interview from uh, a couple weeks after the lottery. And it's so crazy to think how our perceptions have changed on who they could potentially draft. Because I remember we went into that Craig interview and we weren't even planning on discussing defensemen you know and then we come out of there and it's like okay Bowen Byram could be a, a real possibility and then I think right after the Blackhawks won, uh, got third we were everyone was kind of sliding Vasily Colson into that three spot and now it's like this draft has changed entirely I don't know if it's because 
of the information. You know, we're obviously not draft experts, so we don't know exactly know the players, but it just seemed like all of the draft experts dropped Pod Colson and had Byram moving up to the Blackhawk. And it's just crazy how much it's evolved. It's, it's funny too because when you when you go back to our, our first conversation, um, that you weren't supposed to overreact to tournament play yeah. in the under 18s and what goes on in the world. Remember Craig Button said as much. Yep. He goes, he goes, you know, I'm not if Kako has an amazing worlds, I'm not going to put him over Hughes and I'm not going to look at what Hughes was able to do or not do in under 18 and forecast it. Yet Pod Colson seemingly dropped like a rock out of the top 10. By and large, because of his play in the under 18, and then there's that KHL situation yes. that looms. And then Bowen Byram on the opposite side basically tore up the playoffs in the Western Hockey League and led his team into the Memorial Cup. He, he was He's the, the first, only one left. He was the first defenseman ever in WHL history to lead the playoff in scoring. Like that is, and he is 17 years old. And you, you heard Craig mention the, the Scott Niedermeyer um, comparison, and that's mainly just because of the production. And Byram's done nothing to slow any of those talks. So in, in a way, it's you can see Byram's stock rising and a guy like Pod Colson's stock falling because Pod Colson played at U18, did not produce until he had a pretty good uh, gold medal game. On the upper, opposite end, the only guy who still has an opportunity to raise his stock by playing in games is Bowen Byram. He's not disappointed. So you're seeing one guy who maybe was five, six, seven, eight in that range when we first heard that the Hawks were going to be picking third. Now he's the unanimous number one defenseman in this class and arguably the number three prospect in the class. Yeah, and, and probably the surest bet in in the class, Bowen Byram. If 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 you believe that he's going to be a true number one, and um, you know, look, there's. You look at the, the, the five or six that we just mentioned, and, you know, Col uh, Cousins, Doc, Turcotte, Zegras, Caulfield, um, they're pretty much, I think they're all going to have really good NHL careers. Mm -hmm. Some will obviously have better ones than others, but Byram does seem to be almost a sure bet. And we always talk about best player available or need. And honestly, with where the Hawks are at, I think need creeps into the equation here more only because, look, if you're building a team from the ground up, you take the best player available. Yeah. But that's not the situation the Hawks are in right now. They're, they're trying to build a team. They've stocked themselves with several young defensemen who are close to joining the NHL. And they've got some Hall of Fame players that are on the back nine. So, you know, in a vacuum, you'd say, oh, it, you, you can't have enough number one defensemen. If Byram is, is actually better than Yoki Haru, Boquist, Bodan, and Mitchell, take them, boom. But then you also think, too, what if those guys are not that much worse than Byram or projected to be not that much worse than Byram or very close? Or maybe there's some thought that one of those guys is equal to or could surpass what Byram brings to the table. And then you factor in the reality of where the team is at right now and the clock running on guys like Kane and Taves and the need uh, for forward depth as well. 
that's where I, you know, I struggle. And, and later, we're going to get to our top three. We're, yeah. we're going to take that that six or seven or whatever group that we've been kind of talking about for the last few weeks, and each of us are going to give us the three finalists that we think the Hawks are considering at number three. Uh, your thoughts on, like, need versus uh, – best player available. Yeah, it's the Hawks are in such an interesting spot because their biggest need is probably a top 4 defenseman, right? Because Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Dubrovnik, it's definitely it's, it is a top 4 defenseman, but then when you look at the organization, you look at the pipeline, yeah. they have all these defensemen coming. And then you look at the forward, they they probably don't need a high-end forward right now. They need depth, but in oh, two, I, three, I disagree with that. Well, I think they I'm, need a high-end forward. Well, com- compar- I think they need a high-end center. Compared to their immediate need of a defenseman, True. I don't think it's a, an immediate priority. True. But Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, they're going to be 33 in two years, and then you're going to need that next. You know, We're, we're going to list off all these great young centers and forwards in this draft that they could potentially get. That player is going to become way more valuable and in the coming years when Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves start to decline a little bit and Alex DeBrinkett and Dylan Strom are kind of like this new core. But that's what the Hawks are going to be weighing at number three is Bowen Byram might be able to step into the lineup. I don't know if he'll be able to step into the immediately, but as soon as next year, this guy seems to be an all-world defenseman in all areas. I don't know if he's going to be in a... You know, Craig Button says he projects him to be a number one defenseman. He doesn't toss that around. So if that's... If that's the guy, like he could be a changer for your defense, but at the same time, the Blackhawks also are going to need a legit high-end forward, a, a franchise-changing forward at number three up front if they don't. But if you're not expecting Byram to come in and play and contribute and play pretty solid minutes right away, you run into the same issue that we've discussed with all the other defensemen, is that, okay, maybe Boquist needs another year, or Bodan gets a year in the AHL before he's ready to play in the NHL. Mitchell's obviously going to Denver. He's going to come back after being a captain. You don't want to bring three or four guys in as rookies in full-time roles all in one season. Now you're looking at, what, the 2020-21 season. I think the value of the top five centers that you have at the top of this draft is more important for the long-term big picture need of the Blackhawks compared to what you need as far as defensemen. You can probably get a guy who, even though Byram is the hands-down number one defenseman in this class, there might be some guys later on in the draft that you've evaluated and said, you know what, he's not Bowen Byram, he's not a number one, but he's another valuable guy that we'd like to add into that pipeline. So rather than have Byram is my first pick and then a center later on that you're not really thrilled with. Take the guy that plays down the middle at number three, and if you want to add more defensemen to the system, maybe look later in the second, third, yeah, whatever and, rounds. And there's been some talk, too, as you look deeper into the draft. There's um, you know, some of the less offensive-minded defensemen that would be available in the second round. Um, I, it's a really an interesting dilemma because you know, you, you – you bring up when these guys are going to break. And I think for sure, Yoki Haru, and I think they'd like to see Boquist Agreed. start the season with, with the big club next year. I think you'd love to see two of those guys of the four we mentioned play next year with the, with the, the Blackhawks. Yeah, I, I've said it for a while now. I think you have to give Adam Boquist at least that nine-game tryout 
before you burn the next the, the first year of his entry level deal. You have to give him that nine year tryout, see where he stands or compares to his peers. Uh, I don't want to say peers, it's going to be men. I mean, he's going to be yeah. playing against men next year. See where he stands, and then you kind of make the decision. And don't forget, Boquist impressed them in training camp last year and in the preseason. They like what they saw. The other thing, too, is if you're trying to find one of those guys, like, let's say Eric Gustafson gets off to an unbelievable start like and picks up where he left off last year. All of a sudden, internally you're discussing, hey, is uh, Bodan or Mitchell – are, are, do they have the potential to be uh, Eric Gustafson? Is uh, you know, and and all of a sudden you're like you're looking to find what you may have to give away only because he wasn't a high end right. draft pick. Where the thought might be, well, let's not let him get away. We we found him. Why roll the dice on? I mean, you know, you don't want to waste picks, but you also don't want to be foolish and let a guy walk, uh, and you know, spend your resources another way. Use those. Use that defenseman depth in your system to go out and get a player of need on a forward basis. If, if you think, you know, Gustafson is a long-term fit here and not just a we're going to try to move him at the trade deadline if we're not in the playoff picture for draft equity or, or you know, we're going to let him walk out the door at the end of the year. Uh, for nothing. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I just think the biggest question mark in, of all of this is what is his next contract going right. to look like? Yep. Right. Because you you got to be prepared to pay him, especially if he takes the next step. You know, I think he was almost a point-per-game player after he had that healthy scratch earlier in the year. And, like, if he replicates that next season, like, he's going to get paid a lot of money and his term is going to look very long. And, and I just think the reality of the situation of what you were touching on, Slavko, like, all four of those big four defensemen prospects that we talk about, they're not all going to be wearing Blackhawk sweaters. Like, right. they're, they're, it's just the math doesn't work. So, like, the Hawks are also developing to make a lot of these guys valuable. I don't think they're, they're fixated on who's going to be part of the long-term plan and who isn't. I think the market, you know, develops and you see what the market is for this player, this prospect, or whatever. I just think that's where... That's what the Blackhawks are trying to do with all these defensemen. It's not necessarily breaking them all in at the same time. I just think you're going you're gonna to reach a point where, okay, this guy's NHL ready, but we don't have room for him. Right. So we might have to fill this need by acquiring forward. At some point, they just become assets that, that you have in your system because they don't have the playing time. And, you, you know, Charlie, you wrote the article last week about the, the Rockford Icehogs rosters already starting to get pretty, yeah. pretty set in stone. Where are you going to get ice time for any of these guys? So if you're starting to bring them all in together – you have to get some out the door. And if you are developing them like, you know, the Blackhawks have tried and, and they've brought them in and they have a plan for Boquist and they have a plan for Bodan and they want their value to stay high or get higher, that can't hurt you in the long run. Either they're going to contribute for you in the NHL or they're valuable trade assets. Yeah, and, and by that, maybe they're one of the sweeteners to move a Seabrook. You know, you take, you take a first-round draft pick who has shown some promise – um, before reaching the NHL, and they become the sweetener to take the final years of a Seabrook deal. And therefore, Team X gets Seabrook, who can be a, a good fifth or sixth defenseman for the next two to three years, and they potentially have the guy to fill his spot with a much higher ceiling. Which a yeah. much higher ceiling, obviously young and being a, you know, a first-round pick. You know, maybe you have to, to deal from that area 
especially if you really are considering going after Bowen Byram. I think you'd almost you'd almost have to include because it's it's just a logjam of of youthful defensemen that all cannot play at the same time. Right. I, I it would just take a lot of money eating as well yeah. on that. Even like I, I don't think a sweetener itself would do it. It's just tough. I mean, the salary cap keeps going up. Like the the Seabrook contract is obviously like it's the elephant in the room. It's difficult to swallow, but he still adds value in a third pairing role. He's just not worth what he's right. making right now. And and I, if the salary cap continues to improve, but then you get the buyout too. So like Team X could say, look, we're gonna get it. I mean, if again, it, I wonder it, how that works out with his no movement clause. Would he be eligible for? You know, like, does that is he? I don't know. I don't know how that works. Well, uh, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, the no movement clause. Uh, we've always been told, eventually, if you want a, a player to be moved, they don't want to stay in a, in a situation where they're they're not wanted. Uh, and it's easier said than done. And, and and Brent has got a you know a legacy here in Chicago. You guys love him in the dressing room. Yeah, we we've discussed this. You know, I'm just saying, like, if there's a team out there that d- isn't salary cap strapped and could take his $6 million and say, okay, look, this is not – is he a $6 million player? Absolutely not. But he's going to serve as a great fifth or sixth defenseman for us. We've got the luxury right now to, to overpay at this position. He's going to bring some leadership. He's a clutch player. And I get – you know, the sweetener is really the, the other – I get a guy who's on his entry-level contract who – I could pretty much move in to the NHL in the next year or two. And, you might, you might and, need and, more than one sweet. Yeah, I'm sure you may. You I may. Mean, think about it. Just to get rid of one year of Bickle's contract, you had to give up Teravainen. Oh. Now think about getting rid of three plus years of Brent Seabrook's contract. You're going to have to get rid of something that the other team is sure of what they're going to get. I think a very underrated part about the Blackhawks moving up from 12 to three is that every other round also got moved up from 12 to 3. So the Blackhawks are going to be picking 35th in the second round. Yeah. That's essentially a late first-round pick. So And they've done well in that range. Oh, absolutely. They've done very they've done well very in that range. Well. Drink it. <laughs> so we look at the pipeline now, and they're, like, they're, their pipeline is being like replenished very, very well. Like the, they, We even talk about the Ryan Hartman trade. They, they ended up getting Philip Kurashev out of that deal. Right. Uh, you know, like, and Nicholas Bodan, Bodan yeah. you know, so it was like, man, like those, those are sneaky good deals that are very valuable to the Blackhawks that we're going to look back from now or, you know, however many years and be like, man, if they don't make that move, they, they, they don't make this trade or whatever. Right. But I just think like, again, if we're building this team with the target date of three years from now, th- the thought process is different uh, of winning. Like say your championship window begins, uh, but then when you're dealing in the reality of Crawford getting older and nearing the end of a deal, Kane, Taves, Keith needing that better defenseman next to him to take him to uh, a level that we're used to seeing him play at or at least close to. You know, when you factor those things in, if you're still committed to those guys, you, that United Center can't go a third straight Stanley Cup playoff without a game in it. It just can't. It yeah, can't. I agree. And I I think the the a huge part of this whole equation is that the Blackhawks are gonna be getting, let's just say a Yoki Haru, a Boquist, whoever they draft 
whether he plays in the NHL next year or the year after that, these guys are going to be on entry-level contracts. So, I mean, a reason the Blackhawks, a huge reason the Blackhawks won three Stanley Cups was because Kane and Taze were on their entry levels for the first one, and then the second one, the two and three, they were on their bridge Bridge deals. deals. So, like, they absolutely have to maximize these next three, four years when Kane and Taze are still making the big bucks. They're aging, but they also have these, you know, these – number three overall pick and Yoki Hari and Bocas, those guys are going to be on their entry-level contracts as well. The good news is the organization right now as a whole is in a pretty good spot with the amount of cap space they have, how much they've replenished the organization as far as their depth. They have room to wiggle and they've got assets. So this, I mean, it's a crucial offseason for Stan Bowman to say the least. Yeah. All right. So it is uh, May 21st as we tape this podcast. On June 21st, the Blackhawks will make their uh, their pick in Vancouver. So let's boil this down to your three finalists that you think the Blackhawks are considering. Uh, and then at a later podcast down the road, we'll have each guy come up with the one that they think they're going to pick. And uh, Charlie, you start us off. Uh, give us your your three finalists. So I think right now, Bowen Byram and Alex Turcott are separating themselves as a potential target at number three. So I'm going to include them in my two, uh, in out of two of my three. And then the one guy I think that is making a, a very strong case, I think Cole Caulfield isn't there, but I don't think he, I don't think the Blackhawks will take Cole Caulfield. The guy that is, is, seems like he's quickly rising on the draft boards is Trevor Zegras. And I think he's probably the guy, you could maybe lump him in with Dylan Cousins because of those guys. Um, I just think Trevor Zegras is a guy that is going to be highly considered and I mean, he was fantastic. For uh, a lot of people, called him the most talented player on Team USA and, and the, the the their program. So I'm gonna. He's in my. He's my third guy. When you look at what Jack Hughes has done to separate himself from everybody else on that team that has all these loaded prospects, six guys could potentially be first round picks. The fact that they're saying, well, Zegras is very similar to Jack Hughes in a lot of ways, might actually have better vision and better passing that immediately makes you, okay, all right, I need to watch some more video of this guy. He's a little bit smaller, but he's got a lot of those same tools. To me, though, it's still Cousins, Turcotte, and Byram. And I, I don't think anybody would have considered Byram until we realized just the potential that this kid has and the fact that he is himself separating himself from the rest of the defensemen. I think Broberg is maybe a close-ish second, but there's still it's Byram and then everybody else. Just like in this draft class, realistically, you can argue it's Hughes and everybody else or Hughes Kako and everybody else. I think it's Turcotte, Byram, and Cousins for me. Cousins, the combination of size and speed, 6'3", um, at 18, and how fast he moves and the motor that he's got in a lot of ways. I think he has all the attributes that the Blackhawks would love to see in a guy as far as his playmaking ability, his speed, and his willingness and desire to play hockey and be 100% hockey all the time. And I think that's something that we'll find out about at the Combine when they interview all these guys. I'm in uh, almost lock agreement with you guys. I think Alex Turcotte is one of my three for sure. Bowen Byram is also in the final three. Uh, Turcotte's coach, under-18 coach, said uh, sandpaper and silk. I love that. To describe yeah. that. And there's been comparisons to he's like he's a Brad Marchand uh, at the center position. And one thing that stuck out in our conversation with Mark Kelly when we talked about players with an edge, uh, I don't know if you remember, he kind of sat up and like 
He's like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, like 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 we're not just talking skill all the time or playmaking all the time. We also realize to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you need that stuff, that fearless type of player who can can go to the tough areas and do things. And and that to me, when you hear those comparisons that people make with Turcotte, uh, that's for sure a reason why. Zach he, Parise is another one. Yeah, another another guy that you'd love to have on your team. So then I'm I'm ex- I'm between the, the the other two guys. I, I agree with you. I think Zegers has made some big jumps. Where Podkolzin has gone down, Zegers yep. has moved from the teens he, into the top. He to and, me is this year's Kakaniemi, the guy that when the lottery happened, you're like, all right, you know, he's probably somewhere in the eight to fifteen range, and then all of a sudden, a week before the draft, you're like, oh shoot. The Montreal Canadiens want this guy number three. So here, here, but here's where I'm thinking. I'm thinking the Hawks love the fact that Dylan Cousins is a two-way player, that he has size at 6'3", 185, and he has speed, and he uses that. So to me, I think they're going to think to themselves, man, I got a guy that I could put on that third line with the potential to move him up to a second line role in the next, you know, one to three years. Uh, so I think my final three are Turcotte, Byram, and Dylan Cousins. But again, we we all I think had Pod Colson yeah. as our uh, guy. Could be a month and a half ago, right? But, but to be fair, we did we taped that podcast like half hour yeah, after yeah, the draft. I, mean, we were, or, or I was going by you know, ten other guys <laughs> mock drafts and <laughs> and he was at the time the unanimous yeah. like number three guy. And so the U18s just. The one thing I do really like about Alex Turcotte is that he is cut from the same cloth as Jonathan Taves, Ryan O'Reilly, Patrice Bergeron, yeah. those two-way centermen. I was watching videos of his shift-by-shifts, and like when he is so good, and I can very much be. He's also a Chicago kid, and the one thing Mark Kelly said about him, highly competitive, and the Blackhawks organization loves that. All right, we're up against the clock here, boys, because this podcast studio needs to be used for some other things. <laughs> Uh, the Worlds, uh, we've seen now Group A play come to an end. It's uh, moved now the different groups into a quarterfinal action. It'll be U.S. versus Russia. Canada t- will take on Switzerland. Uh, Finland and Sweden. The Czech Republic will take on Germany. When you look at what the Hawks uh, have done so far, uh, Kane leading the way with points, held off the, the score sheet uh, against uh, Team Canada. it's also had a really, really yep. strong Worlds. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I... Patrick Kane obviously has picked up where he left off uh, when he led the led the tournament at the Worlds last year. I think it's just going to be interesting in general for Team USA. I thought this was the year that they were going to be able to do it. I just don't know if they have the goaltending. I still think they're Corey Schneider not Corey doing Schneider, it for you. Thatcher Demko, you know, yeah, it would it would have been nice to see like a Jonathan Quick there, someone that could actually stabilize that position. But I mean, the, all the Blackhawks up and down the lineup, the Blackhawks players and prospects are producing. Here's the two guys that I've been impressed with. Dominic Kubalik, who we're expecting a contract to become official with the Blackhawks as soon as this tournament's over. Seven games for the Czech Republic, four goals. After Dabrinkit, he's got more goals than anybody else representing the Hawks, potentially. He's a plus nine in seven games. The Czech Republic's looked really good. And Kevin Lankinen, who was down in Rockford for a chunk of this season and in net, Boy, oh boy, has he been impressive. 938 save percentage, 140 for Finland. I'm glad you brought one. that up because, you know, we, we all assume – that next year it's going to be Corey Crawford uh, battling it out with Colin Delia, Colin Delia mm-hmm. as the backup because he signs that two-year, $2 million contract. But 
this could throw a little, like if if Lankinen has a great preseason, can't I mean, could you see them? Because he's in the final year of his deal, right? I think the best case scenario, because you you're a little bit more confident with what you've got in Delia, he backs up Crawford all year, and Lankinen starts a majority of the games in the AHL, and you let him you let him have the reins and see what you got. Assuming Forsberg's not back. I think they want to see Lincoln and do what Delia did last year, where yep. they, they see a full season of him, see how he controls and handles the load, and, and then they see. But that's a good option that he's breaking out like this. All right, that's uh, a wrap on this edition of the Hawks Talk podcast, brought to you by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers for Slavko, for Charlie, for uh, Connor Murphy and Blackhawks PR for setting that up. Thank you very much. I'm Pat Boyle. Thanks for listening to the Hawks Talk podcast. We'll catch you next time.